Welcome, inspired person. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Misadventures of an Inspired Woman. This episode is dedicated to the class of 2020. The class of 2020, you've been through so much. And so we all take our hats off to you. Special shout out to my brother and my niece for graduating with their bachelor's degrees. I'm so proud of them. And I'm proud of anyone who's graduated. You know what? I'm proud of anyone who is hearing this, who is still standing, because 2020 has been a test. It's been a course in life. And if you are still standing, then you are winning and you deserve the honor. Okay. Um, Our guest is actually a member of the class of 2020. Jen graduated with her master's of social work from Columbia University. And so this story really has a lot of twists and turns. And I really think a lot of people need to hear it. We're not just focusing again on the outcome and in all that she's overcome, but how she's done it and really being real about what that does to you when you're not necessarily succeeding the way you feel like you need to. I'm so excited for you to listen to this episode. I listened to it in editing it and it really did something for me. And so I'm trusting that it's going to do something for you. Today, our guest is Jennifer Daniel, or as I like to call her, Jen. Jennifer Daniel was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, with community service being instilled in her at an early age. Jen has a BS in risk management and insurance from St. John's University. Upon graduation, she started a career as an insurance broker. To supplement her passion for community service, Jen volunteered with her church and schools in various capacities. In 2009, she learned about girls not able to attend their prom because they could not afford a dress. To address the need, she organized a prom dress drive and collected 250 dresses and hosted an event for girls to feel like a princess while getting a free prom dress. Since then, this initiative has evolved into an organization called Princess Chambers, Inc. and has provided more than 800 girls with free prom attire. In addition to the prom initiative, Princess Chambers, Inc. has evolved its mission to include providing scholarships and mentoring to girls entering their first year of college. After several detours, Jen now serves as a program director for a workforce development program that helps underserved youth in the Cypress Hill section of Brooklyn, New York. She will complete her master's degree in social work with a focus in social enterprise administration from Columbia University in May 2020. Jen's goal in life is to improve the quality of life for others, leave the world a better place, and help young women identify the princess within so they can become the queens they are meant to be. Welcome, Jen. Hi, Tika. (laughs) You're so dope. You're so dope. So, yes, I'm so happy to be able to talk to you uh, because you truly are an inspired woman. Um, I feel like every time I talk to you, you're also telling me about different things that you're trying, be it like your diet or your exercise. Um, Even with you going back to school, I think that was really exciting to hear about as you were sort of figuring things out. So starting from the top, who is Jen? We know she is community driven, um, but how, how would you sort of summarize yourself? 
Oh, wow. So first of all, thank you so much for having me. Such an honor to be with you. And how would I describe Jen? I think that the best way I would say is good vibes only. Yes. (laughs) Um, I just think about just what I'm trying to contribute to just everything that's happening. And I know that this world is full of madness, full of anger, full of just like people always that's kind of aggressive. So for me, Jen is somebody who is trying to bring um, the energy, bring like sunshine, smiles, and just like, you know, keep people more happy in the sense of like, with everything they're going through, just kind of like give them an inspiring and encouraging word. That, that is Jen. That is definitely <laughs> Jen. I love when like we're someplace, I'm not going to say where, and... <laughs> Our eyes connect. Ah, I know the place you're talking. <laughs> yeah, and it's just we just both we know and we laugh, and I I love that. I love being able to have to um to have people like that that just get it and get you, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so tell us, you currently do a lot, but I don't know. I feel like we've talked about some detours that you've taken, as that's our theme for this season. Is there one particular one you want to focus on, or? I think that my entire life has been full of detours that got me on the right path. Yeah. (laughs) And I think in every area, it's always been a detour that in hindsight, now it kind of makes sense. So I can think about just even where I'm at right now and me completing this grad program. That's, That's a whole detour. Like, I think I started as an insurance broker and now I'm, I'm doing community development work. But it's almost like a full circle thing where I went to high school for community development. So I always knew that that was going to that was instilled in an early age. So I already knew that that was something I thought I was going to do in the future. But I think about just the process of where I started until just the detours in my career that have got me to where I'm at right now. So we can talk about that. You you went to school um, for risk management and insurance because you wanted to be an actuary. Okay, so <laughs> the wanting and the wanting and the reasons why you do something are two different things. So um, I didn't grow up rich, and I think when you don't have certain things like a trust fund or um, just you think from a place of financial security. So when I think about like, I, that's why I tell high school students when, if you don't know what you want to do, that's okay because you're not going to be the same person like years from years down. Um, so I chose, I was chose actually cause I was good at AP statistics um, because I, I, I saw that they made a lot of money and I was like, Oh wow, I'm not trying to be broke when I get older. Um, so I did that, but it wasn't because I wanted to do it. It was more so because I was thinking I just didn't want to live the way I grew up. So I pursued, um, it was going to be actuarial science, but then I saw another program risk management, which was in the same, it was just a different, um, sector of the same kind of, um, overarching major. So I did it just out of that, but it wasn't something that I went in thinking like, this is what I want to do. Okay. So you did that. You graduated, you get to the job and you're like, I hate it. (laughs) So I, okay. So I will say, um, just to take you a step back, I went to Benjamin Banneker Academy for community development. So a lot of the things that we did in the school, And it's interesting because so many people who go there, there's still a circle of friends. And the reason why is because they were very, um, very family oriented. They were, they believed that it took that village to raise a child. So you, you kind of, you had a different dynamic of school and the different levels of what school looked like. 
and they were very big on community-based de- uh, community development. So they were having conversations about gentrification in the early 2000s. So like, and this is high school. This is high school. Okay. So, they, so I we called it like we went to HBCU. It was like a little mini HBCU. So a lot of the a lot of the things we talked about were um, we did gentrification projects. I did a um, a project on testing homes for lead paint. Um, amongst like different communities and then also uh, identifying if there was a correlation between STD rates and, and students in low income areas. So it was like, this was, this was the Banneker dynamic. So to go and then do a, a major like risk management insurance, it was kind of like, what, Jen, what is your goal? Because knowing what you're, what you were doing. And then even when I was in college, I was involved. I was a student ambassador giving tours. I was a resident assistant. Um, I was involved in campus ministry. And like even in the choir at this time. So it was so many different things that involved people. So then when I graduated from college, it was one of those things where I'm like, oh, this is this is what this is what life is gonna look like. Mm. The day after I graduated from undergrad, literally I graduated on a Sunday and then that Monday morning I was on a plane to go to it was called the um, Panama Plunge. So for two weeks I was building out building outhouses for elderly couples and doing a lot of like um, community service work in a different country. And then the following week I started as an insurance broker and I was just like, Oh no, (laughs) Oh no. What did I get myself into? So, um, and it was something where I, I, it was a, it was one of my internships, my, my summer senior of my summer. Yeah. The summer of my senior year, I got an internship to work at an insurance brokerage and basically they hired me. And it was one of those things where my peers were still looking for jobs. And you had a job. And I had a job and you, and you take it. Yeah. <laughs> you take it. And that's exactly what happened. So, so I went in knowing, knowing that this wasn't it for me, but it was like, well, right now you have the job, so you better take it. Did you have any moments when you were like, once you had the degree in hand and you got the job where you were like, like, did you have any regret or did you have moments where you're like, what did I do? All the time. <laughs> it was literally one of those things where I felt like I told myself, okay, you will be here for a year and a year turned into five years. And I felt like, did I make the wrong decision? I, I thought about changing my major, but then I had a scholarship for the program and you don't change if you don't have, you know, if you have, you go where the money is. And that's exactly why I did it. The money was there. I got a scholarship for it. Um, but I thought about it every day I was at a cubicle. I mean, I don't even drink coffee and I was drinking coffee black, like for a week, <laughs> trying to get acclimated <laughs> to, oh, wow. to being in a cubicle. And, and the thing about it is that it was my first time being exposed to such like in your face, blatant racism, sexism, and ageism. It, I've never experienced that. And, and, and it's interesting because I, I think when you go to a school like Banneker, where they tell you who you are and that you're, they call you scholars and kings and queens, and then to go into a predominantly white uh, field, and then now you have to learn how to navigate, and then there's quote unquote games and like, you don't, I didn't, I wasn't taught that. So now I have to figure it out on my own. So it was exhausting. I'm like, mm. this, I'm like, this is above my pay grade. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. So, so you, that sounds stressful. It was very stressful. There was times I cried in my cube. I mean, cried in the cubicle. I cried in bathroom stalls. One of the, one of my early incidents that I was like, oh, now this, now I understand. I didn't understand it. To, I didn't know the term for it was a microaggression. 
at the time, but I remember I was learning how this was my first, actually my first time embracing my natural hair during that summer that I was an intern. And I remember when I got asked to come back for the winter to be an intern and I had my hair straight, my supervisor, he said, oh, what happened to the crazy hair? Mm. And I was like, you know, my face was like, excuse me. But in that moment, I'm like, you don't, you have to just kind of like, you kind of just snicker it off, like, because this is your boss. But it was my first time being exposed to those kind of things. And, and then that was exhausting, you know. And then even there was a time when, um, because I was, the, I, was what, I was the youngest person on um, the team. And I remember when I got, I, I started off in the New York office. And then when I got asked to come to, to work in the Jersey City office, I remember there was people of color that were trying to figure out who I was related to because they were trying to figure out how I got into like to working there because my resume basically wasn't enough to get me into that position. So it was interesting. Like those nuances were the first time I've ever experienced those things where it's like, like somebody said they were trying to figure out, they were like, well, she's not ghetto. So maybe she's, she's related to like this assistant. And I I was like, well, maybe my resume got me here. Right. It was so many of those under underlying, like, little punches and jabs that I was experiencing. And I was like, okay, this is not what I want. But at the same time, like, I also knew that I had created a lifestyle, like I was paying rent. And I like now, even though I, I was no longer living at my mom's house. So it was like, I have to now be in this place where I have to choose like my salary, even though I hated the position. And those little jabs add up to create those situations where you're crying in your cubicle, where you're crying in the bathroom, and it it adds up to a certain amount of what we call race-related stress. And it's real. Very real. Very real. So what was the thing that got you out of that? It's interesting. So during that time, I was doing a lot of different like community service outlets just to kind of supplement my sanity (laughs) and to keep me like happy. And there was, it was weird because even though I hated the job, I was still moving up. So there was, there was, it was, it was interesting also because there was, there were people that were trying to keep me into a certain position as far as like an assistant role, even though that's not what I got hired to do. And when you try to advocate for yourself, it it came off as being ungrateful. And I just, I just remember thinking like, I got to get out of here. And I was trying to think of like all the ways and what would I, what would I be doing if I wasn't doing this? And through the work of this with community service um, outlets, there was girls I was meeting that wasn't able to afford a dress for their prom. So that's how I started Princess Chambers was in the cubicle. (laughs) And literally, it was literally texting and figuring out um, to make this happen. And through that was also you just never know the setup of like the things that could, that's working out like in the universe or, or like what God's doing it because it was a woman who donated a dress who worked at the organ worked at the company who had a friend who asked her if this girl wants to turn into an organization I'll turn I'll do it pro bono so although I'm miserable in the work I'm also meeting people that's helping me like push forward my community service passion. Then I thought, okay, so how am I going to get out of here? So I actually applied to another grad program, which I knew I didn't really fully want to do, but it was something that I was like, all right, well, if I have, if the only way I have to get out that I can get out of here is I have to go back to school. So I started a program at NYU 
And I was, I did two years in the program and it was a, um, it was a, um, nonprofit development program. So it was like fundraising and grant making. So I did that program and then I got an opportunity to interview for a flight to do an internship with a foundation. And I interviewed for there and, and I got the internship, which was interesting because I got the internship, but it was also me thinking like, well, is this the wise decision to take this internship? Because now I have a salary Mm -hmm. and I've moved up in, in rank and am I going to now be an intern for a few months? And it was one of those things where I had to decide, okay, what's the difference between faith versus wisdom? Because my faith will tell me that I'll be fine after this internship. But wisdom is like, girl, you got health benefits, <laughs> you got a salary, and you still got rent. So I declined the internship. And it was crazy because in my head, I was like, this is the first time in like five years that I've actually got an opportunity because it was, even though I was there, I was still applying for opportunities, but the thing that people kept, kept seeing on my resume was all of this insurance and account executive experience. And, and then even my peers were like, Jen, you're like the youngest account executive and you're black. I was the only black girl on the team. People thought I was crazy to want to leave because I was moving pretty, pretty quickly mm-hmm. up. But for me, I was so miserable. I was like, my sanity was much more important. So I ended up, um, I declined the internship. And I felt, and I remember going down, so I worked by Harborside Financial Center, which is by the water. And I remember going downstairs and saying like, I'm like, God, you wouldn't play me like this. Like this was just, even the, the way the interview went, I did my first opportunity getting something. I'm like, but I, I'm like, but I know I couldn't take it. Keisha, the next day, literally the next day. So there was three things that I wanted in my next job. I wanted, I wanted it to have the opportunity to help people. I wanted my days to look differently. And I wanted the ability to travel. So the next day. So wait, hold on. I'm going to pause you for a second there because I think that's really important for folks to think about. A lot of times we're looking for a job and we focus on, you know, the salary and the position. But I like that you pointed out those three specific things that were going to be important for you. Yeah. Yeah. So those were because I was like, what is going to make Jen happy in her next position? Because the thing is, is that. I never really knew exactly what I wanted to do. I just knew what I wanted to like, the impact I wanted to make. So I didn't know what exactly that looked like, but I just knew that it had to be something that was more, um, that I knew whatever job I was going to take next had to be moving in the right direction towards what I'm supposed to be doing. So the next day, one of my friends sends me a position. They were like, Jay, you should apply for this job. And they didn't even know I was really looking. And it was to work at this organization called Elite Blood Cancer. And when I, so I applied for it and the thing was, it was to work with blood cancer patients, but it was to um, also um, help them basically um, help their families organize bone marrow donor drives, work on campaigns, travel um, in that role. So I applied for it. I got through the first round of interview. The second interview, I was late for the interview. MTA was not on my side. <laughs> and not going your way. I was like so nervous. I had always, I was like, I cannot believe this happened to me right now. I was literally like 20 minutes late for the interview. And I was like, oh, this is over. I don't have this position. But I mentioned that part because what I realized in this moment was that whatever is yours is yours. So when I went for the interview, I, so I got there and the person who was interviewing me was a teammate. And he literally, when I got there, he was like, if you took the train, it's okay. Like he, like he literally, it was the interview, he made it so welcoming. We had a, it was a, a conversation. He said, well, if it was up to me, then you would have the job. 
So then the next, the next time, my last interview was with the CEO. I got there an hour early. <laughs> I was not playing. I, went, I got an hour early. And I was told that the interview was going to last three hours. Talk to him. He's literally on his phone while I'm talking. Like, he's not even paying me any mind during this interview. So I'm like, I need to say something to get this man's attention. Like, I don't know. In that moment, I just have to say, like, what my, I said, I was passionate. And I believe that I can be the person that, like, builds numbers. I just started going. And, and I tried to, like, bring my corporate experience into this nonprofit experience. And he so literally within, like, I would say after I said, after I was done talking, he said, you can kind of gauge a person, you know, in a few minutes. Have a good day. Dismissed me. And I said, what? Yeah, so he dismissed me. And I just was like, oh, okay. So I left. And um, I went about my business. And I just was like, you know, it's above me now. And I, and I went about my business. I went home. And then the next, that same day, I got a call from HR. And they asked me, how did I feel that, about that interview? And I said, well... Um, I'm not sure because it went a, a lot faster than I thought it was going to be. And they said, well, they got an email after I left and it said, Jennifer Daniel, hire her. And that's how I got that position. And, wow. and it was in that position. I was so grateful because I think about how many people told me that leaving corporate was a stupid idea. They were like, you're going to you're not you're going to you're going to take a pay cut. You're going to do all of these things. And especially because I was starting over in a different and the whole different sector. And they were like, you're absolutely ridiculous. And I was like, thank you for the, un- the unwanted advice. Mm. <laughs> but, but the way God is set up, like they matched my salary. So I never took a pay cut. So even in that moment was one of those things where e- easily people were like, Jen, you're, you're making the wrong decision. But I had to follow my heart and get out of it. And even the day that I started. So just so you know, to give you a little bit more context. As an insurance broker, I was, a, I was in charge of real estate accounts. So I was dealing with business interruption. I had a lot of the, um, the, the well-known New York businesses. And my last day at the, at working at that company was literally the weekend right before Hurricane Sandy. If I didn't leave that weekend, I would have literally left <clears throat> on like un, unclean terms. Like when anybody touched my accounts, like they couldn't complain or say anything negative. And the way I left, the CEO said, if you ever wanted to come back, that I could. But I was like, I don't go backwards. But I think <laughs> so much. I really appreciate it. So, so it, was a, it was definitely one of those things where I was like, okay, well, I'm heading in the right direction, even though I'm not there yet. And so you do that. You do amazing work because you just, you just operate in excellence. Like, I know that about you, right? I volunteered with Princess <laughs> Chambers. I'm so bummed that we're not able to do it this year. Uh, yeah. It's it's amazing. The girls feel special. You get the one-on-one. So even as a sh- I think I was a shopper, is that the term that you yes. get to us? Uh, <laughs> you get assigned a, a particular girl and you talk to her, you go through. And I love that you're picking out these dresses, but they're telling you about where they're going to college. They're telling you, sometimes they're telling you their hopes and their dreams, their fears. It's just a really powerful time, I think, um, just the way that you set that up and with so much intention. It's so hard, I think, when I volunteer sometimes and I go to volunteer experiences, I'm like, what are these people doing? (laughs) (laughs) Right? Um, And so I just love that both the volunteers and the girls are able to have a great experience through um, the Princess Chambers prom drive and then there's the scholarship and the mentoring and I love when you do the garden party and the girls come back the scholarship winners and amazing 
amazing Thank stuff. You. Thank you. So you're moving along. You're doing this amazing work. And then what happens next? What, what happens? <laughs> so I do want to say something about Princess Chambers. So with Princess Chambers, my first year, I started in a small room downtown, like in the Fort Greene section of Brooklyn. And it was literally the only reason how I ended up moving from this space was because it was unavailable. And then it was the door open to go into the Marriott. And for me, I just believe in just whatever, even if you, if you're come from a low income household, it's all about the experience. Like no one wants to ever feel like they're receiving a hand-me-down. So for me, it was super important that even if they're getting a secondhand dress or, um, they, they may not have the finances to, to get, um, just even certain resources that I want them to walk away feeling like a princess. So that's why, you know, people could give you free space and it could be a gym, it could be a classroom. But I wanted it to be aesthetically something where they feel like they're royal. Like you come into the Marriott and it's already an experience. And, and I'm really big on like the volunteer experience being mutually beneficial to like the, the student experience. Because I want people to look forward to coming back. And that's why like I love the fact that there's people who've been volunteering for so many years. Because they've gotten a chance to one, see the beginning to the end. But then also it's like you're having a good time too. So we want the girls to feel, one, beautiful, confident, but they also want, we want them to feel empowered. And the other thing with the volunteers is that I don't necessarily, like, I, I've never had to put out, like, volunteers wanted or needed because my, the thing is, is that I also am very intentional about the kind of volunteers I want to be with these girls because some of these girls have never heard that they're beautiful before. So I need to make sure that the volunteers are also going to be the ones that are be like, girl, you are fabulous and, you know, have that energy. And then, you know, um, are the ones where they walk away, like they, they'll, they may never wear that dress again, but they're going to remember that experience. And that's what I want them. It's all about the experience. So, so that's, that's what happened with, um, Princess Chambers. And then when I think about with, um, the next step, so I worked with the lead blood cancer for years. And what happened was I, um, when I worked with, um, the lead blood cancer, I had, um, I started with um, working with the, um, the donor recruitment team. And the thing was, is that when I first started, I was also, it's, it's interesting because I've always been in the space where I've been like the one black girl on the team. And, but I also feel like it's, it's been those experiences that have influenced my current experience too. I was the only black girl on the team, but then I started learning more about the disparities between um, people of color, African-Americans who, Literally, they are more likely to have a, a need to need a bone marrow donor, but they're least likely to find a match. And the the real, the, um, the the reason is because when you think about African American, like we're not just one like one heritage. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to finding a bone marrow donor and finding a match, you're not likely to find one because it's such a unique thing. So. When I learned about that, one of the things I wanted to bring to the team was trying to do more initiatives that were surrounded on developing, like, one, African-American awareness, but then also, two, partnering with organizations that can, you know, one, bring to light and shed light and educate people on the need for bone marrow donors. So I was doing, so I um, focused on July, which was African-American Bone Marrow Awareness Month, which the organization wasn't doing anything for by the time when I got there. So... Um, I got them to partner with Essence Fest. I got them to partner with the NAACP convention and um, just a lot of more um, like even sororities and fraternities and 
just a lot of African-American um, affinity groups that were really people that can really push the mission forward. So I had an opportunity. I was traveling for that job and I worked there for three, almost three years. And it was interesting because towards the end of when I was working there, I just started feeling like there was, this is getting closer to what I want to do, but there's still something more. Mm-hmm. And um, during that time I was working as, I was also volunteering, excuse me, as a, a, a young adult leader. And I went on a retreat and I remember the Sunday right before there was something called power hour. So the Monday there was a, there was a Sunday that I was literally just thinking about like, this is what I really want to do. And I just remember being like, if I'm really supposed to be doing this God, like make it super clear. And then the next day, literally that Monday, they eliminated three people from my team and I was one of them. Mm. So, so like, there it I, is. I was like, and I couldn't even be mad. Keisha, I, I literally couldn't even be mad. And it was, that job literally was the three things I had prayed for. But it was also something where I was like, when I, when that moment happened, I also felt like, well, I'm heading in the right direction. So I had such a peace. I went right back to sleep after, after it happened. And I already had a trip, like I had already trip planned for two weeks ahead. So I had gotten a severance and, um, and also, I also believe in always having a side hustle. So I was working for kind also during that time. So I ended up just working more for kind and, and that's how I ended up working for kind. Cause I was working a little, I was working little gigs for them, but then I had more time. So then I ended up working for kind, but I wasn't working full time, but I was working more for them. So during that time, though, I, I just knew that, okay, well, I'll be working next week. It's, it's going to be all right. I'll be working next week. One week turned into a month. To a month turned into three months. But during that time, I was also being able to do stuff for Princess Chamber. So I was also doing, like, happy hours. I was doing all these other events and um, paint nights. And then I also did an adult prom. But during that time, I'm working for kind, but I'm also applying. So I'm thinking, okay, well... What's next? Because now I'm in this, back in the space of what's next. Like, I know I'm getting close to what it is, but I'm still not sure what exactly it is. But I'm like, all right, well, I'm applying for everything. So now I'm applying for, like, partnership development positions, marketing, um, events coordinating, even flight attendant. Like, and I'm getting to the so, end. Of- so <laughs> how are you feeling during this time, though? Like, are you cool? Like, so I think the gift and the curse of a Black woman is that we wear stress very well. And I felt, even in, in the moments where I felt, I, I felt fine for the first couple of months. I was like, oh, I got money. I'm good. It's fine. But then I, it, it, when it started turning to three months and then six months, and I'm like, wait, it's getting to eight months. I'm like, oh, oh no, no, no. This is not how it was supposed to be. So I will say I didn't feel anxious, but I felt like, okay, what's going on? Because I will say, like, when you lose your job in a way that it's not like you asked to leave, it, it, it messes with your self-esteem. But I kept myself distracted by doing other things. Like, I was doing so many other things for Princess Chambers. So during that time, I literally had to fight the feeling of feeling bad to, like, just keep going. And I think it was what, what was messing with me and my confidence was that I was getting to the end of all of these interviews like almost like I thought I had it and it was like they went with somebody else like I even went to like I got flown to Dallas to be a flight attendant and then it was like no like so all of these things kept happening and I'm just like well what am I supposed to be doing so I was in this confused space for I would say a good six months Mm. 
And so by keeping yourself sort of busy, it was, I mean, you did a lot, but it was really a distraction from sort of like that turmoil that, 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 that sounds like a lot bubbling below the surface. And it was, it was because the thing about it is that I, I'm a firm believer that you don't have to look like what you're going through. So I was going through a lot and only a few people really knew my situation. So, cause even to the point where there was times when I was like, Hmm, this card might not go through, <laughs> you know, but it was one of those things where I was just like, but you know what? I'm still alive. I'm still going to push through. And that was literally the only thing that got me through. And that's why I think when it, when I, when I meet people that go are going through those kind of seasons, it's that like, I'm like, listen, you'll get through it. You're going to get through it. And, um, but I, it was weird because I've always been working ever since I was 14 years old. I've always had a job. Like, so to be in this space where like, I didn't have like security and health insurance the way I, I'm, I know it to have always had, I was like, this is very humbling. It was very humbling. It was, it was a very humbling season, but I'm just grateful that in the midst of it, there were certain things that was happening, like, um, that I was able to be there for people. Cause I was always, I didn't realize how career driven I became, even if it wasn't always what I wanted to do. I was so focused on like, well, I gotta, I gotta do this well, or I gotta like get to the next thing or move, move up. And I was able to be there in unique ways for friends that I hadn't, I I would say I hadn't been able to be there. Like I had a friend who her son was in the ICU and I was able to like take care of her other son. And, um, and then when my friend, our mutual friend, like when her mom passed away, I was able to get on a plane and help her plan her mom's funeral. So I think about the, the availability and flexibility I did have in that season in hindsight, that it was totally divine. But in the moment it was like, what was happening to me? This is not, I'm not used to this. I think that's that's a real encouraging word that, you know, like you're talking about all this and people see you. And like, I remember coming to those happy hours. They were bomb. Um, (laughs) I'm bringing them back. back, back. (laughs) Um, But that you, you know, you're still pushing forward and moving forward. But that those moments of confusion and, and questioning your worth is real. It's so real. It's so real. And the thing about it is that like you, I didn't realize how, like how much I, how I was feeling in that season until I had to sit with myself and really be like, wait, like I really, I like, I, it's almost been a year and I'm not working like full time. Like it's a, it's been a year and I'm like, well, I don't really have health insurance right now. Like it was a lot of those like, all right, well, I have to, I have to choose faith over fear. And that literally, I think that was one of those moments where I feel like my faith got even stronger because I had no, I had no other choice, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So then. It's so crazy. I am a firm believer and I'm glad that I've always thought like this, where it's like, if people come to your mind, reach out. So I, so I was starting this mentorship program for Princess Chambers. And in that, in that moment, I was actually thinking like, I think I need a new mentor. Like, I mean, I had mentors, but I feel like in every season, like Richard, where you, you're going, you may need somebody new. So, and I was just, a, it was a thought that happened, like I would say earlier in that year that I was thinking about this mentorship program. So somebody came to mind who I hadn't seen this man in like, maybe 17 years. He was the district, he was a superintendent of the district of my, of my school. And, but I always remember him to be somebody who was, um, authoritative, like a leader. Like I just remember he just came to mind. So I Googled him 
And I learned that he was doing, he was like a board of region. I realized he was doing, working on education policy, but I really wanted to ask him questions about like um, being in the department of education and like just talking about just youth, youth development. Ended up reaching out, sending him an email blindly, found his email online, reached out blindly. He emailed me back the next day and scheduled a meeting with me. He works out of Albany and sometimes downtown Brooklyn and scheduled a meeting with me a few days later. There was a 30 minute meeting that turned into three hours. He told me that he was never supposed to get my email because emails are screened. And when he got mine directly, he knew he had to like meet with me. And the first thing he said to me was, you need to go back to school. And I said, that's not why I came to this meeting. Thank you so much. (laughs) I appreciate. Thank you so much, but no, thank you. But that conversation made me think, well, if I was to go back to school, what would I even go back for? And in that, I thought, well, maybe it might be counseling. And and I wasn't necessarily interested in counseling, but I was like, well, maybe it's counseling. And I ended up getting like it was the series of events was kind of crazy because the next week, one of my friends who worked at Cypress Hills Local Development Corporation, maybe for a month. I don't know if she even like I don't even know if she she was there for two months, but she sent out a mass email to all her friends about the, the positions hiring. And it was 20 positions on that on that email. And the one that stood out to me was this counselor position. So I applied for it. And so I got an interview. The person who interviewed me told me, you know, you're not a counselor, right? I said, I know. (laughs) And because I went in there already knowing that my resume is not speaking to this position, but I tried to make, and this is another thing you gotta, the things you do for free, you just never know. So I put, I try to put as much of the, the volunteer experience between Princess Chambers and working and serving as a youth leader on my resume. And that's what got me the position. So he said, you're not a counselor, but he said, you have experience working with people and you have the passion. So I walked out of that interview and he said, you have one more interview, um, one more um, person to meet with. And then the, literally the next day he said, no, I'm going to hire you. I feel like I need to hire you. So I got hired. And so I got hired as a counselor role. Ended up doing a lot more than the counselor role because I, to me, I was, I saw what the position, the, what the, um, what I walked into and I thought this program could be so much better. So I started bringing my personal resources and like asking my friends to come and speak and, um, try to create new work for, um, work site opportunities for the young people. So I'm doing much more than my position really requires. And then, um, then something happens within the program and nine months later I become the program director. That's what you do. That's you. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I mean, I think what is most helpful for you is that you're open to what comes your way. Like, I think some people, um, on the first episode, I talked to my friend about this because we came out of school after 9-11. I was like, yeah, girl, I I had a bachelor's degree and I was spraying perfume at Bloomingdale's, right? Um, But I think some people are like, listen, I've done this. I've been here. I've been this. I'm not doing that. Right. And I think that's what's so dope about you. Each time you've opened yourself up to a new experience, it's just led you to even to it leads you right back to greatness. Like you are who you are, right? Thank you. I think that's so dope. That is so dope. Um and you're within a couple weeks of completing your master's degree in social work and you know it's even with that so I didn't even know I in my head I thought social work was like ACS and that was it but I didn't realize that they were everywhere and so working in this and at at Cypress Hills so five months into working there 
I had experienced, like, there was young people that were, one, there was one that was, like, trying to, there was some suicidal, they were having, like, domestic violence situations, racial profiling issues, and they were experiencing such real things, and I'm, like, really helping them through and, and guiding them through these experiences, and I'm, like, and even when I took that position as a counselor, I took a pay cut, and and it was it was for me in that moment, I was, like, I'm doing way more than what I'm, what I'm like, really getting paid for. But it literally, it was one of those things where you take that step back and you literally get propelled like 10 feet forward. Because it was literally five months. I applied, I applied for the program at Columbia and I applied to NYU. And the thing was, is that I learned about social work and I, and I was like, wow, this is, this is it. This is exactly what I would go back to school for. So the program, I got accepted to both programs, but Columbia has this program, the reduced residency program that you're, they basically, if you have like five years of experience, then um, you can keep your job as your field placement. And so I got accepted to that program. So I didn't have to quit my job mm-hmm. and the five months of experience, five years of experience, you know, and then I got a scholarship for it. So it was literally divine. And it was, it was, it was like the setup couldn't have happened any better. Like I couldn't even take any credit for that. And everything that happened in those first five months were the things that those situations helped me write my personal statement in the essays that I needed for my, um, for my essay. So it was like literally that one, that one conversation literally changed the trajectory of my life. Nice. I love it. I love it. So we're going to move on to our lightning round now. Yes. I'm going to ask you some random questions. Don't okay. think about them. Just answer. Okay. Okay. Ready? Yes. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? Ooh, flying. Okay. Favorite color? A turquoise. Favorite dessert? Ooh, strawberry shortcake. Celebrity crush? Ooh, which one should I choose? Um, Trevor Noah. Lately, oh, I feel like we would vibe well. <laughs> I think you guys would. Um, dream vacation? Uh, Kenya. Okay. Your guilty pleasure? I'm trying to think. Oh, um, okay. So I can eat a lot of guacamole and chips and then I would eat like something sweet and cereal. Like I could eat that in one sitting. So that's my guilty pleasure is eating. Oh, I'm a snacker. Like that's, I can eat a lot. That's interesting. Yeah, I can eat a lot. I, I'm known to have a cast iron stomach. That's okay, okay. Okay. Favorite thing to do that you haven't done in a while? Can I say travel? I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to share today. You dropped so many gems. Um, and I feel like it was just like a, a sped up version of it. Like I know there's so many more ins and outs, but I think again, like you've always been open to what's next and you trust that part of you that says there's more for you. And I know that there's more for you. So I'm, I'm waiting for, for that. Thank you. Um, I'm waiting for that. Thank you. Thank you. I just believe in everybody. Just trust your process, not like trust the process, trust your process, because like everybody has whatever it's supposed to look like for their life. But trust your process, because I think about everything has how it's come together, whether all of the all of the isms I went through, I'm able to bring it into my current work and teach young people about ageism, sexism and racism and learn how to navigate that. And then trust the God shifts because like when you let God like play chess with your life, he will always win. Wait, trust the God. The God shifts. Right. Yeah. Trust those God shifts because like when he like, 
when he plays chess with your life, like he will always win. Like, and it literally, you will always end up in, a, in, a, in the best position. So, thank you, Jen. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited. I'm so honored. It's gonna be great. Oh. It's gonna be great because I think people need to hear this now. During think- time. Like so many major upheavals are happening to people right now, yeah. um, and it's very overwhelming. So it's good to see someone on the other side of it, mm-hmm. um, and to hear the things that help them get there. You know? Yeah. So. There was a quote that I, I how did it go? Um, Allow your passion to become your purpose, and maybe one day it could become your profession. I think that's how it went. And I feel like sometimes people overlook their passions, the things that they love, or the things that they do for free. And like, this is a time when you should really be looking at like, what are those things that I love to do? Because you just never know what it can do for you in the future. Like all of the stuff that you do for free is your training round. So yeah. like, it like, it was, it was the princess chambers and it was the work I did with movement that got me into that door. Nothing that I got paid to do. It was that, that those experiences. So. Yeah. That's my, that's similar to me when I applied for my master's and my PhD. I think definitely trust your process and, and follow those passion, those passion marks in your life. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye. bye. Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to hit subscribe as we continue on the misadventures of an inspired woman. Follow me on all social media platforms at Dr. K Thompson. That's D-O-C-T-O-R-K Thompson. And check out my blog at www.drkeisha.nyc. I'm so glad that you're a part of our community of goal getters. Be sure to share this with someone else. And as always, be intentional.